HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Canada, who wants to remind everyone that we've got the world covered from A to Z. Our products are built with patent-pending processes. They leave nothing to chance, eh? This is no game to their staff either. Oh no, every day they're working like the Stanley Cup is on the line. And whether you need beers, bears, boats, or boots, they'll get it to you with rush delivery included. You heard that right. Rush delivery is free. Because we're no fly-by-night organization. We're Canada. Everybody, welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. I do that either by sharing information, specific lessons learned in the field, or talking with industry experts. Uh, all this information leaves you hungry. For more, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter or subscribe to my YouTube channel. So, what's up for this week? This week, I have the great honor to talk to Daryl Boyce, who is the current ASHRAE president for the 2019-2020 Society Year. We discuss what got him into engineering, and we dig into some of the details about his presidential theme, which is building for people and performance, achieving operational excellence. All right, so there's a lot to really uncover there. We finish our conversation by taking uh, or talking about the new ASHRAE headquarters. Um, and by this, I mean not new, uh, just lo- location. Uh, the building is a little bit a little bit older, a little bit on the older side. Um, you Just listen. Okay. Enough of this blabbering. Let's just cut to the tape with Daryl Boyce. All right, today we're talking with Daryl Boyce, who is the ASHRAE president for 2019-2020. Uh, how are you doing today, Daryl? Oh, I'm very good, thank you. So I, I guess you know, the first question I always love to ask the uh, ASHRAE presidents they interview is, what really got you into engineering in the first place? Yeah, well, that's, that's sort of an interesting uh uh, topic uh, it was when I was in high school, actually junior high school, grade nine. Uh, one of the strategies at the high school was to arrange a tour of the local university to uh, interest the students in in uh, post uh, high school education. And while we were on that tour, we went through uh, the heating plant for the university, and and for some reason, I was uh, quite fascinated by the the hissing steam and the equipment in the plant. And so I asked the tour guide. Uh, who was responsible for a, a facility like this, and, and they said mechanical engineers. And so uh, I, I I sort of caught the spirit at that time. We had to write a little uh, paper on uh, on future careers that we thought we might be interested in, and I wrote it on mechanical engineering. And then it just sort of never left me. It, it was always uh, in my mind that one day I'd become a mechanical engineer. All right. Now, in that in that that uh, paper that you wrote, what would, what, what was the second runner up? What would, if you didn't become a mechanical engineer, what, what do you think you would have been doing? Well, I never, I never really thought about that at the time, but you know, as, as uh, life is, is a, a journey for sure. And sort of as a teen, as a young adult, I was very interested in cars. And even before I could drive, there was a car I had that I worked on and, 
and got it so it would run and drove it around beside our house. And so uh, I I thought maybe one day I'd be a, a mechanic or something working on cars and other things. But then when I when I got into the real world of work, my first job was as a, a siding installer at uh, in some housing projects, and and I I thought I might end up in construction industry. Uh, but all through this, this engineering was sort of always gnawing at uh, at my uh, mind and and kept me moving forward towards an engineering program. So now, obviously, through your engineering experience, you know, once you graduated and and, and all that, um, you've had a number of mentors over the years. I, I guess what what are some of the pearls of wisdom that uh, your mentors shared with you? I, I guess the 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 largest or, or most meaningful pearl of wisdom uh, was uh, an individual that hired me, sort of mid career and. And he said that I should always stay involved in, in volunteer uh, technical activities. Uh, and he was very supportive of, of uh, my involvement and in increasing my involvement in ASHRAE. But also uh, my career in, involved higher education facilities. So he also uh, recommended I stay involved in the higher education facilities uh, volunteer organization as well. And that really, really has made a difference in my career to uh, stay involved, stay connected uh, in those organizations. So that, that's the big one. Now, I guess what uh, kind of turning the tables now that you um, have a few years under your belt, um, what are some of your favorite lessons learned that you'd like to share with young engineers? Well, I, I, I believe that often engineering students, as they, they come out of the program and, and uh, move into, uh, into their jobs, uh, often think that they've got all the answers. And, and I learned very early on that uh, you don't have all the answers. I mean, you're, you're well-trained uh, technically, but uh, the world, the real world of, uh, of uh, designing things is, is quite a bit different. And you really need to listen to those people in in the, at the on the front lines, the trades and technical people that you work with. If you truly want to be successful, you you have to make sure you listen uh, and and uh, listen openly with those individuals and try to learn what they know about uh, actually doing things in the field. Now you talked about a volunteer. Um you're, it's important to be a volunteer and you get involved in societies. When did you first get involved with ASHRAE? When did you first hear about it? Well, I, I, I talked about the fact that I, I always wanted to be a mechanical engineer, but as it turned out after high school, I, I didn't have sufficient money to uh, uh, to continue in, in, in the engineering program at the university level. And so I, I opted for uh, technology uh, education, mechanical systems, uh, mechanical technologist. But uh, the program I enrolled in was uh, production-oriented. So uh, I, I was uh, learning all the technical aspects of designing uh, equipment to, uh, to manufacture things in the industry. And, and uh at the time that when I graduated, the industry in, in the province in Canada, province of British Columbia, was pretty slow. There weren't a lot of job openings. And it turned out my first job was as a mechanical systems designer at the University of Alberta. Uh, the problem was I had no, no training in that area of designing mechanical systems. And 
And it was the senior designers that uh, directed me to the ASHRAE handbooks, uh, which I learned, which I used to learn uh, about designing mechanical systems. And, and that they really helped me be successful in my, my job as a mechanical systems designer. And then when I had the opportunity to return to university to work on my engineering degree, I actually joined ASHRAE as a student member. And, and so for the four years I was in university, I was considered an ASHRAE student member. Uh, but as soon as I graduated, the local chapter sort of uh, touched me on the shoulder and said, uh, uh, we really would like you to serve on a chapter committee and get involved with the chapter. And uh, I agreed to that. And then from there on, I was just sort of moved from chapter to society. And, and, and I, was, I was actually really hooked on, on ASHRAE as an organization. Now, I, I, <laughs> I want to I give a pro tip here. If, uh, if you're out there and you're interested in mechanical engineering, um, you know, sign up for that student membership. Um, it's, it's really cost effective, shall you say. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's a huge opportunity, and once once you get connected with, uh, with through a student membership, you can then be connected to a chapter, and to a chapter you're connected to the industry in that area, and uh, that's the best way to sort of find out about the industry opportunities in the industry, uh, and really often that leads to a career that's very meaningful. Now, what I guess, what are some of the favorite things uh, that happen to you uh, because being involved in ASHRAE? I know it's kind of a big question, but if, is there something that stands out? Um... Yeah, well, I guess first I'd have to say that uh, my involvement in ASHRAE, and this is truly my belief, has enhanced my management skills and helped me advance in my career. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I often say that... Uh, Managing or, or in a volunteer organization is like working in a university. And for me, the university is where I've spent 40 years of my life on the facility side because the academics in the university are like volunteers. They're, uh, uh, you need to work with them in a, in a manner. There's lots of committee work that's involved in the university and that's working with ASHRAE has really, really helped me hone my skills in those areas. And I've, I've been very fortunate to be involved in the right, to be in the right place at the right time uh, and, and be involved in a number of years on the society planning committee, the committee that sort of sets our goals and objectives for the future. Actually, I spent a record 10 years on that committee, uh, very exciting opportunities. And I was also involved in a number of organizational developments, such as the creation of the ASHRAE Learning Institute, the certification program and the e-learning programs, and that uh, that was also really exciting to be a part of of those changes, those positive changes in the society. And there's one thing that I and and it's funny, it stuck with me that we had a presidential member called uh, Member Lewis Flag, and uh, I, I always remember his uh, presidential speech for for a little piece of it. And it was when he said, I have just one warning for you. If it could happen to me, it could happen to you. And, uh, and I took that to heart all the way through my, my involvement in ASHRAE. And he also went on to say the key, key was to be ready, willing, and able. Opportunities exist only if you take advantage of them. 
and so that's uh, that's what I always try to do in my my career, I guess, in ASHRAE, is uh, step up and take advantage of the opportunities as they came along. Awesome. So now let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about your presidential theme, uh, which is building for people and performance, achieving operational excellence. I guess, why did you choose that? And uh, what is it, you know, can you break it down for me a little bit? Yeah, I I guess, first of all, and I get back to the fact that I've spent 40 years uh, working facility side in three different universities in Canada. And uh, I started that uh, journey as a designer. Uh, And it was a designer where you actually had to live with your design. So you worked as uh, uh, on the owner's team, but designing renovations and alterations, not new buildings, but renovations and alterations. Um, And then after that, I moved to a position that managed the energy use in building operations uh, for the facilities in in a different university. And finally, finished my career as the head of facilities planning, development, and operations. During all those years, I realized that although technology advanced dramatically, the operation of buildings were lagging behind. It really sunk in when we opened a, a new building in 2010. It was an engineering building. We felt it was really state-of-the-art at the time with powerful building automation system, extensive sub-metering, and uh, found that it was not being operated effectively by our operational staff. Now, it was interesting because it was an engineering building and we were fortunate that the engineering faculty was located in the building. And they were doing research on building occupancy behavior and building operations. So they studied the building and pointed out many operational issues which we went on to resolve. But what I really felt out of that is although we had what we felt were very competent people operating the buildings. Sometimes it's just not uh, designed to be operated properly. It's not turned over to be operated properly. And the people are not prepared for the technology that they're being delivered. So this is why I I felt so strongly about this building operations theme. And if you you step back and look at uh, the impact of the built environment on on, on, uh, use of energy and the the state of uh, the amount of carbon emissions that are going into into our world. And you know that every building that doesn't operate properly is, is adding to those issues and problems. So it is a serious concern that we need to deal with. And that's why I focused on that thing. So now, I guess you, you've talked a little bit about, uh, and I've, I've, I kind of hear your tones of it in, in what you said, and obviously in your, your presidential address um, back in Kansas City. And I'll put it a, a link to the show notes if anybody hasn't seen that. But I would like to, uh, you know, you, you talk about engineers not factoring in system operability during the design process. So I guess what does that look like? Yes, that's that's actually rather complex uh, because if you look at the designers, um, um, it's very difficult for them to put themselves generally in the shoes of the operator or the owner that's going to have to uh, staff the operations side. And uh, but uh, we're we're developing a, a guideline for designing for operational excellence uh, that we hope will will allow our our designers and even building owners and managers 
to understand the principles of designing for operational excellence. And the first step is to understand the level of training that the building operators have or will be funded for. So sometimes the building operators are people that exist for whatever reason, uh, in, in particularly in the higher education area, or else they're uh, operators that will be hired to, uh, to operate the facility for the owner. And the designer also needs to design the building operational concepts in a manner that the controls companies can install them properly and interpret them for programming. So that's, that's one of those things where, uh, as I describe it, uh, the owner will say what they would like to see in the building and how they would like to see it operate and function. The designers interpret that, they, they put together a design, and then it's turned over to a building automation company who then interprets the design that the designers have had, and then they give something at the end that may or may not, and most often does not, actually totally meet uh, the concepts that the owner started with and the designers uh, documented. So it's it's one of those things where there just needs to be a greater focus on truly understanding the design with the end in mind, the end being effective operations of the building. Now, I guess one of the uh, one of the things there is is, is obviously commissioning um, would help pull those pull all those parties together. Uh, you know, from the engineering standpoint to the temperature controls contractor and the operator, just to make sure that you know maybe we can get a, a, a complete loop in there and that you know everybody kind of gets on the same page. Yeah, I think uh, commissioning and and. Uh, I, my general sense is commissioning is not utilized uh, enough in this world, but but it's also uh, commissioning today, I would say, is what happens is that it, if you bring it on early enough, it, it starts to focus the design more on maintainability. Uh, so if they work with the designers, they're working on maintainability. And then as they flow through, they're making sure that the, what's built meets the design and, and, and is turned over in a manner that, that meets the design. But I truly think there's an expanded role for commissioning, which is to represent the building operators, to start to understand through uh, maybe uh, discussions with the building owner, what type of operators they're gonna have, and then flow through the entire design process, uh, giving feedback as if they're at the capacity of the operators at the end. So that as the design is developed, as it's built, and as it's turned over, there's more effective transition from the design concepts to the building operational concepts. And uh, so we've had some discussions with some commissioning organizations, and, and I believe that's, that's really a valuable expanded role that could really make a difference to how the buildings end up operating. So now, I, I guess when you when you, I guess what would you tell engineers? I mean, uh, from a building operator standpoint, op, you know, engineers who really want to be, you know, as an engineer, you know, you can get a, you know stuck in a couple of buckets. You can be stuck in a, um, you know, just doing kind of cookie cutter designs where you know kind of what pieces parts are going to go together. And then there are opportunities for engineers to you know, where it's like a, uh, a blank slate where they could do just about anything. And they, they're like, okay, I'm going to be the most innovative. This is my opportunity to shine. I'm going to be so innovative. What would you tell people um, uh, or engineers specifically about innovative designs, um, but they don't really understand 
you know, the systems and how to operate them. Yeah, and and uh, through my my discussions with uh, this year with with many people, uh, some of the some every once in a while I hear somebody say, "Well, we got to simplify these uh, these designs. We have to simplify them so that they're easily understandable by the caretaker that's going to operate the building." And uh, I, I worry about that because I think innovation and the use of technology is truly the future of of effective building operation. But I, I think we also have an opportunity here for the building designers to begin to understand the power of analytical tools, sort of artificial intelligence and analytical fault detection software methodologies. And designing innovative designs and, and technically uh, technically challenging, I guess, uh, designs as, as long as they understand that there has to be an interface often between that design and that, that innovative design, that, that stretch design, and the building operator. And those interfaces can be the technology that's developing rapidly, which is the, the fault detection analytical software. And, uh, but I think the, the issue there is that we, we need to start having some standards for, for these types of uh, operational tools, as I would call them, and that's sort of the next phase of, uh, of us in terms of looking at how do we work with the industry to create those standards. You know, I have often been in meetings, and, you know, this kind of goes to my next question about evaluating the capabilities of operators. But, you know, I've, I've met with a lot of operators, and, you know, some of it, it's it's hard to you know, pinpoint what their capabilities are. Um, you know, s- some of them ask a lot of questions just to, you know, you know, to, to look better. And, you know, some of them are quiet, but, you know, really know everything from soup to nuts. So h- how do you go about evaluating operators for a-, a building? And I guess this is a little bit easier if you have like an existing building or existing group of operators that you're working with rather than somebody um, for new construction. Maybe you could address both of those scenarios. Yeah, well, and, and I think in your, your explanation said it's difficult to figure out how to evaluate the capabilities of the operators, but what what we're doing, and, and I'm, I'm probably not going to answer that question, but I'm going to tell you what our approach is to that. Uh, a couple of, About a year and a half ago, we, we developed a multidisciplinary task group uh, within ASHRAE that's bringing together our technical committees in the society and representatives from the building owner managers uh, organizations. So we have representatives from APA, the higher education facilities officers, IFMA, BOMA. And and what we're doing with this group is we're working with them to say, what types of training programs, what types of information programs, how valuable is it to invest in operators? And, And so we're trying to work with the groups that to make the, their members make those decisions about investing in operators uh, to develop programs and strategies that will actually assist bringing the level of, of the operator understanding up to a level that's adequate for the building type. Obviously, if you're in a high-tech research building, the, the level of understanding is higher than if you're in a, a small commercial uh, building. 
but this is what we're trying to do is not not look at how do we evaluate their their competency it's how do we provide tools to improve that level of competency to the level that's required for the building type and in addition to that we're also looking at other tools that can be provided to building owner operators that uh, will help the operators will bridge that gap between overabundance of data and useful information. So this is this is the role of our multidisciplinary task group that we've created. So kind of uh, springboarding off that, what you know, if you were a uh, a facility person, what would where would you go? What would be kind of a, a the first best step um, to be able to step up their game? Well, the, the problem is today there is really nowhere to go, and, and that's one of the things that we want to create with this uh, multidisciplinary task group is uh, um, ASHRAE is, is, is a great technical uh, society, um, but we focus on our, our largest focus is how we build, how we design uh, buildings. But we understand the technology and we need to get together with the building owner operators to, to develop educational programs that we can co-sponsor uh, that will provide the, the knowledge to the building operators uh, that will be useful. And then we have to actually develop other programs that we can start to uh, use our guideline for effective guideline for operational excellence and some other tools to actually prepare the design, the designers uh, to uh, design more effectively operated buildings or buildings that could be more effectively operated. What we're doing, and I'm about to, to leave, <laughs> go in a slightly different direction here. What we're doing, uh, we, we've had to uh, sell our headquarters building at Lance and we purchased a, a 1970s 1978 building and we're renovating it and what we're doing in that building is that we're we're demonstrating some newer technologies in in uh, building data analytics and and uh, operational strategies that that focus on how do we use the, the copious amounts of data that's available today to effectively analyze the operation of a building and 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 turn the data into useful information so that we can have a building that provides a great indoor environment for our staff and, and members that visit and does so without wasting energy. And that's the big, uh, big issue for, for the world really is having that great indoor environment because that's where, why we build buildings is for people. And, uh, but while we're, we're making them, we're helping them be successful, we wanna make sure we don't waste energy. And so that's one of the areas, and we're using that. Uh, building owners and managers association is going to use that as a as a case study for for um, repositioning existing buildings, and we're working with IFMA in terms of how we utilize that information in, in APA as well. So that we're we're creating a, a an environment where we work together, the building owner and operator organizations, and the technical society of ASHRAE. Uh, to begin solving the problem of building operations. We can't, ASHRAE can't do it on its own, and it appears that the building owners and managers operations or organizations need our help as well. 
You know, it, it, it's interesting because I was, you know, I've been involved in ASHRAE for a long time, as, as you have. But the current, or I guess former, I don't know if you've moved out yet or, or not, but the, the, the previous ASHRAE headquarters had been kind of a, a learning lab as well, or it's kind of like a, you know, uh, educational center. Um, but there was a lot of things that you were trying to do with that building as well. But now you're kind of like turning it up a notch and using it uh, for a lot more analytics as, as opposed to just kind of just monitoring uh, the systems. Yeah, actually, um, as I often say, uh, when, when, we, uh, when we decided we were going to add on and renovate the previous headquarters or our existing headquarters building, I guess, because we're still in it, but we don't own it. Um, it was actually one of those things where we announced we were going to do this renovation and uh, uh, two major system suppliers got a hold of us and said, we'd like to donate our systems. And, and so we said, well, why don't we put two systems in the building and, and uh, do a bit of a living lab and how those systems operate. Uh, and, but the problem was the technology at that time wasn't, wasn't strong enough that we could share the data properly between the two systems. And uh, so we, we didn't get the, uh, the kind of data comp- confidence in the data that we needed to actually be, be doing that effectively. Um, but what we did in the new headquarters building is we hired a design team and said, design us a building that will give us a great indoor environment, take us to a net zero capabilities, which means a building that will provides that great indoor environment, reduce the energy consumption to the lowest possible level so that we could put a reasonable amount of photovoltaics on the site to uh, take us net zero. And uh, also, uh, so pick the systems that are most effective. And then after we've got the system selected, we'll go out and look for contributions of, uh, of uh, equipment and, uh, and funding. And uh, so it was totally different uh, in that regard. And so we truly believe it's, it's a well-rounded uh, living lab uh, because we've, we've designed it to be a, a great indoor environment, reduced energy consumption, and we need to take it to net zero and, and demonstrate how that all works, along with how do we maintain a great indoor environment and maintain that lower energy utilization. Yeah, that's. I guess I, I had been in a uh, a session about the uh, the new headquarters, and that was that was one of the things. You know, it's it's not like Ashray went out there and and cherry picked the perfect building that they could easily turn into a near net zero. Um, they ba- they basically selected a building that was kind of typical of what you might find out there, um, at least in the region. And, um, you know, they were, they were working their magic on that. Oh, yeah. I know it was, uh, was much less than uh, the perfect building to make net zero. There's no question. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the floor-to-ceiling glazing and... And, uh, and so we've had to do uh, quite a bit of work, even with the envelope, to... Uh, to get us to a point where it makes sense from an operational point of view, and at the same time maintain uh, natural lighting wherever possible, and and uh, so it's it's truly a demonstration project and and a living lab as we move forward. It's it's going to be great to see how this uh, what we can learn from this this uh, building. Excellent. Well, I do appreciate your time. Well, any final thoughts of 
before we go? Um, well, I th- I think that uh, that this whole building operations and and the gap that we've seen is is very disturbing um, because uh, we're designing great buildings. Uh, many of these buildings that we had a look at in terms of how they're operating, these are, are lead certified buildings, and the intention was that they'd be great great places to work in uh, with uh, great results in terms of energy utilization. And I, I truly think that, that we, ASHRAE, working with the building owners and managers organizations, and, and we need to continue this work. And, and I think we've created great connections this year, and, and we can make a difference. Uh, it's a long journey, though. It's, 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 uh, there's still a lot of business cases that, that really don't support uh, the strategies that we're going to develop, but we'll just keep trying to educate the uh, the people that make the decisions about investments and building operations and building operational staff and and uh, and just keep the journey going. Uh, it's been a very exciting year. Uh, it's a, a year of of scary things with the, the coronavirus, but uh, but I think uh, we'll all kind of come out of this a lot stronger. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Daryl, and thanks for being on the show. Okay. Thank you. All right, thanks again to Daryl for taking the time to chat with me. Check out the show notes for uh, links that we mentioned during the interview. You can find those, as always, over at HVAC360.com slash 160. It's just slash the episode number. This happens to be 160, so it's slash 160. All right, thanks so much for listening, uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. I really do appreciate this. I hope this is helpful. I hope hope you learned something. Uh, If you know somebody who's looking to step up their HVAC game, consider sharing this episode or another one of your favorites with them. This is really by far the best thing you can do to spread the word about this podcast. Uh, If you haven't done so already, think about uh, subscribing over at HVAC360.com for another weekly dose of HVAC goodness, or go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe if video is more to your liking. Uh, Lastly, I'd be greatly honored if anybody wanted to go and leave a five-star review or rating over on Apple Podcasts. That really does um, help a lot. All right, well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.